One thing that's very clear, if you look at Jesus' life, um, was that he was an initiator. And throughout the New Testament, there's countless scriptures that talk about that character quality in Christ. I'll throw some up here. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we'd done anything to move towards him, he moved towards us. 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so time and time again, we see this initiating nature of Christ. Jesus was never passive, and he was always very clear about what he was doing and where he was heading From the very beginning of his story, when you look in Luke chapter 4, very early on, he comes back to his hometown, and he stands up in church one day, and he says, guys, this is what I'm about. This is why I came. And he said this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so if we're ever wondering as Christians what it is we should be doing, we could always just start there by proclaiming the good news to those poor in faith, those who are are bound up and blind to their sin, that there's hope in in Christ and there's freedom available to them in Jesus. So remember, Jesus' call to his disciples and to us was to follow him, right? To be like him, to do the things that he did. And so when we study the Jesus way, which we've been doing now for this whole year, his way of operating, um, we're called to replicate that in our world. And so when we, today, we look at this, uh, this topic of Jesus being initiator, if he was an initiator, then we're called to be one as well. And it's important for us to understand that we're capable of it. Okay, whatever that character quality is that we've been looking at, that Jesus way, we've looked at the Jesus way of compassion and downward mobility, you know, the Jesus way of love, patience, humility, whatever it is, we have to believe that we're capable of it, whether we're wired that way or not. Okay, because the reality is, is that we have all that we need in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? If we've made a commitment to follow Christ, he says, my Holy Spirit will come and and dwell in you. And so we have have the very nature of God in our hearts to live those things out. So if the, the Jesus way of compassion, for instance, comes easy to some of you, that's great. For some of us, we're not very compassionate. (laughs) We need Jesus's help to do that, but but I have to believe that, that God is enough. And I can, I can live that out. And there's going to be some other ways where, where you feel strong in, in, in certain areas and it comes easy to you. In other ways, it's like, oh man, it's really a challenge for me to be patient like Christ or for me to, to love unconditionally like Christ. But, it, but I, I think that those weak areas for us are just a great reminder of the fact that in order for us to carry out all of these different ways that God is calling us to, that it has to be a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit has to make those things happen in us. It's not just a matter of me deciding I'm going to be more this or that. In a lot of ways, it's deciding that I'm just going to get out of the way 
of, of the Holy Spirit that's in me, that quality that's in me, so that it can come out naturally because that's what it's there to do. So not only did Jesus consistently initiate with people or, or move towards them, but he also spoke things into people's lives that they couldn't see for themselves. And we're going to look at a couple different stories in Scripture today where he did that for people. So I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 13. It's page 728. Luke 13. And as we're reading through this story, you can look at the words, you can sit in silence and just listen to me read it, whatever you want to do, but I really want you to try to kind of picture the scene in your mind about like what that might have looked like, what emotions the, the characters in the story might have felt. Okay, I think it's important when we read scripture sometimes that we take the time to, to do that and not just read it as, as a factual thing, but to understand that these are people like you and I that experience this firsthand and, and, and all kinds of thoughts and emotions and feelings were going through them, through the crowd, the people watching it, through Christ as he's interacting. So let's look at verse 10. It says this, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up. And praise God. So as you kind of try to picture that in your mind and maybe try to connect with the feelings involved there, what, what stood out to you? What did you think about? Yeah, Renee. Okay, the hopelessness of this woman. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Jesus saw her, okay? Of all the people there, he noticed her. What else? I feel like an auctioneer. I see people scratching their head. I'm not, it looked like a hand, but maybe not. Anybody else? What about the woman? Like, what kind of emotions do you think she might be dealing with? Yeah. 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 In a very short amount of time, she went from one extreme to another of hopelessness, of of pain, of rejection, whatever it might have been, to a totally new reality. Right. So <clears throat> this story says that this woman is bent over. Okay, and sometimes, I don't know if you guys, I mean, have seen some elderly folks that are bent over, but it's, it's sad to watch. And so, you know, so she's, she's viewing life through this reality. And I, I think when we're telling this story, I think it's, it's, it's true of her in a physical sense, but I think also it's, it's saying something about her spiritual reality maybe as well. 
Because if you're bent over, all you can really see is the ground in front of you, which I think is kind of a metaphor just for all you can do is just kind of see your present circumstances. It's kind of hard to see beyond that. Most of us have a horizon (laughs) that we can look and see quite a ways away. When you're bent over, it's like, this is all I have. And when you're like this, if I was trying to give a sermon like this, I mean, all I can see are just a few of you out of the corner of my eyes right now. And so I have a very limited perspective on the real reality when I can look up and see all these people, right? So she has a very skewed perception of life. So needless to say, she needed some fresh eyes here, right? She had been this way for 18 years. And whether she liked her circumstances or not, I'm pretty sure that she had probably just grown used to it just being this way. This was her reality. You ever been in a place like that in your life? Maybe you're there now. Where you know that something is broken. Maybe it's a pattern of operating in your life that you just haven't been able to change that just leads to destructive things. Maybe it's a relationship that just continues to be difficult and and never really changes. Maybe it's your finances or you can fill in the blank. But maybe over time in that particular area of your life, you've kind of stopped believing that change is maybe even really possible for you. It's just been that way for so long. And here's the thing. Everyone around this crippled woman had probably gotten used to it too. Her friends, her family. This is just the way that she had always been. And it seemed like the way that she was always going to be. Our friends get used to our brokenness as well. So she needed fresh eyes. The people around her needed some fresh eyes to see a different possibility for what her life could be that they just couldn't see anymore because it had just been too long. And so this woman had probably heard about Jesus and she shows up at the synagogue, which is just a fancy word for a Jewish church. And what does Jesus do when he sees her? What does he do? He summons her to come forward, right? Can you imagine, like, if I looked out at some of you right now and pointed at you and said, hey, come forward right now. Like a lot of you in here would freak out, right? You'd be like, no. You'd crawl under the pew, right? It's intimidating. Holy cow, in front of all these people, right? Others of you would be coming up here and grabbing the microphone and singing a song or who knows, right? But especially if you had an issue that was obvious to everyone, you certainly wouldn't want the extra attention. This is where I get back at my wife. So early on in our marriage, uh, before we have kids, I think we went to Branson on vacation, and we went to Silver Dollar City, and it's the end of our day, we're almost out of the park, but for some reason, like, we stop, if you know kind of where the entrance and exit is in in, in Silver Dollar City, if if you go through the gift shop, then there's kind of this open area where sometimes bands play and blah, 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 so there's this show going on, I don't even remember what it was, a magic show or something, but we're kind of standing in the very back. And 
this guy goes, hey, you know, we need four volunteers for this next thing. And, and if you know anything about my wife, I mean, her hand wasn't shooting up. But he, he pointed to her and said, you in the white shirt back there, come on up. And so I'm just like, I just immediately start laughing because I'm like, oh, man, she's going to hate this. And they, he didn't tell us what they were doing. So she gets up to the front, and there's like a stage, and they put a table out, and they put a bib on everybody, and it's a pie-eating contest. <laughs> but it's one of those where you can't use your hands. So it's like sticking your face in the, I mean, you could not come up with a worse activity for my wife to have to do in front of everybody, and I'm in the back just loving it, <laughs> loving it. And she just gives me this look, oh my gosh, of death. So it was awesome. So, yeah. But not only did Jesus call her forward, okay, but he offers her healing. Did she ask for healing? No, she didn't ask him to do anything, right? But Jesus saw the healing that she couldn't see for herself. And so he initiated the process. He lifted her eyes up to a different perspective. And man, I hope you guys all have people in your life that will do that for you. That when you're stuck and you're kind of bent over and all you can really focus on is your present reality and you can't see beyond that, I hope that you have people in your life that will raise you up and help you to see beyond now. I hope that all of you are people who do that for others. That's one of the things I love about coaching. I coach runners. <laughs> one of the things I love about my, coaching my runners is, is helping them to believe that they can achieve something beyond what they think they can. You know, all the time I'm talking to my runners like, no, you're capable of this. I know that this is what you've ran, but I've watched you work this summer. You're in better shape than you've ever been. This year, you know, I always ask kids, what do you think you'll run this year? And they always lowball me, you know? A kid that ran 19.30 next year, last year, would be like, oh, man, I hope I break 19. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you should be running 18.15 this year. And we have this, we have this thing in us that always just kind of, well, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. You know, and, and I try to. I mean, I'm not going to tell them something stupid. You know, if I know they haven't been working out, I'm going to say, oh, you're going to run 17 minutes this year. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot them straight. But if they've been working and they're a different person that's coming back to me this next year, I'm going to be like, man, you're capable of this. Well, let's look at, at one more story. I want you to flip over to Luke 19. The story is pretty familiar to a lot of us. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So this story starts out by saying that Jesus was just passing through Jericho, which tells me that he really had no intention of of sticking around and spending much time there. But all of a sudden, he he comes across this this guy named Zacchaeus who puts himself in Jesus' path. And it says that he was curious. And he'd heard some things about things that Jesus could do. And Zacchaeus, it says, was a tax collector, which meant that he was a Jew who was working for the enemy. And so he was hated, and he was padding his own pockets with the, the money of his own people to make himself rich. But at some point along the way, in the course of hearing about Jesus and who he was, and there had to be something in him that sparked this thing that made him want to go climb up in a tree to get a view of him that maybe he started to think to himself, you know what, that's not who I want to be. And maybe this Jesus guy can help me. And so Jesus makes space for Zacchaeus. He, he carves out time for him in his schedule. He, he sets up this dinner meeting. And, and all of Jesus' actions are communicating to Zacchaeus, hey, you're worth the detour. You're worth my time. I don't hate you. And I've always wondered what happened between verses 7 and 8. Because you notice verse 7 that they're talking about coming to dinner. And then all of a sudden, verse 8, he just starts saying all kinds of stuff. Well, in between there, there's that, that, that was dinner time. And the Bible doesn't record what transpired in that conversation. But I have to believe, because of what Zacchaeus is about to say, that Jesus in that conversation had to have looked at him and said, man, you could be somebody so much different. You've got so much to offer people in Jericho. If you'd get your eyes off of yourself, you know, and, and, and your own selfish desires. Because all of a sudden in verse 8, we see Zacchaeus stand up. And one of the first things you notice is that he calls Jesus Lord. Which means that he's, he's putting Jesus in his proper place. And he's saying, you're, you're master, you're Lord. That's significant. But then he goes on and he says, I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor, and anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to pay back four times. Like, I'm going to give interest. That is radical, a radical encounter. And I love how this little story ends because it's just a reminder of his initiating nature. Once again, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so I just, I have a couple of observations I want to share with you from this encounter, from both of these encounters, actually, that I'd like for us to focus on. And first, I just want to give a couple of things that I think that the crippled woman and Zacchaeus had in common. And the very first thing that I noticed was that they both put themselves in the path of Jesus. Right? On that day, that woman showed up at church. On that day, Zacchaeus shows up for the the Jesus parade. Right? So the first question is just this, is, is are we showing up? Are we putting ourselves consistently in the path of Jesus and his people? And in some ways, you're all here, right? So I'm kind of speaking to the choir this morning. You guys are putting yourself in the path, at least today. But that's just step one. That's a good first step, okay? But the story doesn't end there. 
Another trait that they have in common is, is that when called, they responded. Right? When Jesus looks at this woman in the crowd and says, hey, come forward, she came. Despite her fear, despite her shame, despite maybe whatever hurdle she had to get over in terms of like past religious people who had promised her healing, she trusted Jesus. And that was significant. Zacchaeus, when called, he came down out of that tree. A place of curiosity to a place of intimacy, right? To your house for dinner. And there are some of you here this morning that are just kind of curious. You might be sitting in the balcony or in the back row or on the side somewhere. But you haven't really crossed over that line of maybe I need to trust God a little bit more. Maybe I need to to understand what intimacy with him looks like. Zacchaeus opened his home. He made room for Jesus and his friends, and he allowed Jesus to get close. And so responding was the whole way that kind of the story moved forward. It wasn't enough just to show up. You had to respond, too. And I don't know about you, but I have, a, I have a pretty good idea that Jesus is constantly trying to communicate with me. He's constantly initiating. Because there are all kinds of, of times, almost daily, where I have this sense in, in the Holy Spirit in me is nudging me. You know? Do something kind for that person. Or a person's name comes in my mind. I want you to pray for them. Hey, Bob, hey, encourage that person today. When I'm in his word, he speaks to me. When I'm listening to songs, he's speaking to me. Sometimes when I'm out in nature and I'm just quiet in, in the stillness of his creation, he speaks to me. And how often do I respond? How often do I, I risk to, to, to go forward into some new reality or some new thing he's asking me to do, even when, especially when I know it's going to be hard? Where's my level of trust in God's goodness for me? Showing up and responding. Those are two very important kind of prerequisites that set up this whole opportunity for healing. So here are some things that stood out to me about Jesus in those encounters. Okay, so we kind of talked about the people. The first thing that stood out to me is that it didn't seem like Jesus really cared what people thought about what he was doing, okay? The first story, the whole reason that it's in the Bible is not so much what he did, but it's when he did it. If you read on, there's a lot of controversy because this happens on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, it's the holy day, the day the Jews went to church. And there were a lot of regulations about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, and one of those was work, and they considered healing somebody to be work. But Jesus doesn't really seem to care about what they think, <laughs> and, and he doesn't really let the opinion of man affect what he knows he's called to do. In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus obviously knew what kind of man he was. He knew that this was a guy that everybody hated, 
And immediately when, when Jesus enters into this guy's home and really even just says, hey, I'm coming to your house. He hasn't even gone there yet. Verse 7 says the crowd starts muttering, right? Oh my gosh, why is he going to the house of sinners? What's he doing, right? But Jesus doesn't seem to care because he knew what his mission was. He knew that he came to seek and save the lost and that not everybody was going to like the way in which he did that. And so a question for us this morning is how much of our ministry is influenced by the opinions of others? A lot of you guys are young. And you have some different ideas about how you want to live your life than maybe what your parents have tried to tell you. And so when you say, Sam Donahue, I'm going to go move into a house in the neighborhood, that might be rough for your parents to swallow. When you say, I'm going to go whatever, go major in this or go serve in this community or go serve this demographic or I'm going to... I'm going to give more generously than you would ever imagine. I'm going, to, I'm going to not live the American dream. I'm going to live in this house. My wife and I aren't going to work two jobs. She's going to stay home because that's what we want to do for our family. You're just pushing on things. Sometimes you get pushed back. So how much are we concerned about what others think of us? Even though we have a very clear understanding that this is God is asking us to do. Secondly, I noticed that Jesus... When he passed along this vision for a different life to both of these characters, was that he did it in a way that included intimacy. So when he calls the woman forward, it says that he puts his hands on her and straightens her up. And and men didn't touch women in public like that back then, not that they do now. But especially like a religious leader just wouldn't do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't be seen as okay. And Jesus says, I don't care. <laughs> you know, plenty of other st- stories where he goes and he touches the leper. Nobody did that. In the story of Zacchaeus, right? He, he gets close to Zacchaeus. He says, I'm gonna come over to your house for dinner. In ancient culture, that was a very intimate act to invite somebody into your home and to spend time with them like that. So Jesus' way continually goes against the norm. And the people and their needs superseded whatever the culture thought was acceptable. And nothing that Jesus ever did was done at a distance. He didn't just sit back and just write checks for good things and put them in the mail and say, yeah, hope somebody feeds that person over there on the other side of the world, which is a good thing. (laughs) But there's also times when we need to get eye to eye with people. We need to be intimate. We need to get up close. Jesus always had that kind of look you in the eye kind of ministry. He made time for people. So here are some challenges for us, well, at least for me, all right? In both of these stories, and really a lot of just the examples of Jesus pursuing people throughout Scripture, most of the time it involved the marginalized. People who frankly had issues, the crippled, the lame, the lepers, the poor, the blind, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, you name it. And you see, it's easy to initiate and to pursue and to spend time with people who come easy for us, right? People of the same socioeconomic level as us, 
people of the same race as us? You know, fill in the blank, blank of whatever makes you feel comfortable. We all like our interactions to be non-awkward, right? Except for Kimball, right? As, as my daughter says, you thrive on awkward situations. That's one of your quotes in class, right? So maybe besides for Jacob, the rest of us, we, we avoid awkwardness at all costs. <clears throat> and so what does that look like? Well, that looks like at church, at social gatherings, at small group. We kind of hover over to the people that, that we feel comfortable with. And we kind of stay there, right? Here's a new thought. In order to be like Jesus, maybe we need to look around and start asking ourselves the question, who's the burdened soul I can pursue? Who's the lonely person sitting off in the corner? Who's the marginalized? Who's the needy person that I know is probably going to cost me something to come alongside them? to enter into relationship with them. Another challenging application here is to consider the way that Jesus called out a new reality for the woman and for Zacchaeus. So what's the vision for healing that we have for other people in our life? I want you to take some time to think about the people just right now that God has surrounded you with, a friend, family member, co-worker, teammate, whatever it might be. How are they stuck in broken places? What have they gotten used to that looks like bondage and settling for less? And how have you gotten used to it too? Can you ask God to give you a different vision for their life and maybe the opportunity to be a person who might be able to cast that to them, to, to raise their eyes up from that bent over place that they're in? And not just do that, because that's in some ways the easier part, but also to make the commitment to walk with them towards healing and freedom. Because I'll tell you guys from experience that that is the fun stuff. I mean, I am never more alive as a follower of Christ that when I, when I am coming alongside somebody who is just stuck somewhere in life in a broken place where I can lift their head up and I can look forward for them and say, that could be you. That could be your life. You don't have to stay here Let's go, man. Here's what's true about you that you're missing. Here's what's true about God that you're missing. Here's what's true about the power that's in you through the Holy Spirit that you're missing. And let's go. I'm going to take your hand. We're going to go together, right? And what that might look like for you, I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to meet with you every week for however long it takes until we get some traction in this new reality. That's when being a follower of Christ gets fun, people. When we're setting some captives free. 
when we're leaving behind old broken patterns of operating that are sucking the life out of people. Who wouldn't want to be part of a redemptive story, right? That's what makes movies great, when the hero gets redeemed, right? So why don't we enter into those arenas more often? Why don't we call people forward and and cast a new vision for them? Why don't we call that curious person down from the tree and say, hey, let's go grab dinner? I'll tell you why, but you already know the answer. What is it? It's a four-letter word that starts with F. Fear, good choice. (laughs) Right? It's fear. It's fear that we won't know what to say. It's fear that that issue that they're dealing with seems bigger than we might know how to handle. It's fear that my own life's kind of a mess. How, how am I going to offer something more for them? I, I, I can't even get out of my own way. And guys, those are all legitimate concerns. It's just that Scripture tells us time and time again, do not fear. It's just that Scripture tells us time and time again to love your neighbor as yourself. It's just that time and time again, Scripture tells us that all things are possible in Christ Jesus. That it's not about our capacity to love other people or to cast vision for other people, but it's about his capacity that's in us, right? Because what is true is that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Supermen and women. Y'all, we are not called to admire Jesus. We are not called to believe things about Jesus. We are called to be Jesus. in ever-increasing measure. And so we must pursue, and we must initiate, and we must cast vision of a new reality for our friends who are stuck in broken places. Not because God will think less of us if we don't, but because that's what he did for us. That's what he did for you and me. When I was the marginalized, needy, demanding sinner, he entered into my reality and met me there. And he said, Bob, this is the life I have for you. And it's better than what you're settling for now. And I can change you. And I'm going to walk with you for the rest of your life and continually make you more like me in the process. And guys, if you've received that gift from Christ somewhere along your journey, that is not something for you to keep to yourself. It's not just good for you. It's good for everyone, right? That is a gift to be shared. And so this morning, 
I want you to, to really leave this morning with a name. Who is in your path right now that's stuck, that's settling for less, that's broken, that's in bondage? Who is that person? Can you pray for them right now? Can you pursue them? Can you initiate with them? Can you commit yourself to speak a new reality of healing and freedom into their life? Not from a distance, but up close and personal. Right when I finished typing this Friday, I was on on Twitter and this message popped up. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says this. My own eyes are not enough for me. I will see through those of others. Isn't it crazy just the timing of things like that? I was like, oh, okay. Man, we need that, guys. There are people right now that need your eyes to see something different for their life. God is asking you to initiate with them. To love them enough to not leave them stuck. There are some of you in here who need somebody else's eyes. And you might need to initiate a conversation with somebody who you think might be able to help you. And say, hey, this is my reality. I've been stuck. I'm here. I don't want to be here. Just kind of like Zacchaeus, right? He went and put himself in somebody's path who he thought could help him. Maybe you need to find that person who you think, that person could help me. And put yourself before them and say, please, show me a different way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, stories today. But man, they are just so, they hit so close to home. Because in so many ways, every one of us is the crippled woman. Every one of us is Zacchaeus. The person that's betrayed Others, the person that's, that's stolen and lied. And, and if we're in Christ, every one of us is the Jesus figure. We're the person that can offer freedom and hope. We're the person that can cast vision. So whatever side of the fence we find ourselves on today, the one in need or the one that has something to offer, and a lot of times it's somewhere in the middle, God, I pray that we would just be a brother and a sister to one another. I pray that whoever you're putting on our hearts today, that we would love them enough to initiate a conversation with them. I pray that we would expand our capacity, our social circle, to include those that are a challenge for us, that are burdened souls that just drain us, that are marginalized people that demand a lot of us, God, those are the people that you came for too. Those are the people that you love. Help us to remember how far you came to get each one of us and increase our desire for other to be, others to be freed and to be healed as well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we close this morning?